of the Design Man Brew Podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Laura. I'm Nefeli. And we're here to explore the intersection between science, technology, and society. So grab your drink of choice and let's dive in. In this episode, we're going to discuss smart textiles, more specifically wearable technology. Wearable technology has become more prominent in the last few years, integrating all kinds of electronics and clothes or fabrics. Currently, we can all see kinds of projects connected to wearables in Design Lab and also in the University of Twente. So we invited a researcher, Edwin Dertin, together with our student and dream teamer, Gemma, to discuss this topic. Now we're going to listen to some of the excerpts from the discussion I've had with them. Let's begin by introducing our guests, Edwin and Gemma. Edwin, if you could start first. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, thanks for having me here. Um, I've got a background mainly in uh, robotics and electrical engineering. So I started studying electrical engineering here at Twente University and then completed my PhD on the design of an in-pipe inspection robot in uh, 2014. So that's real, um, really uh, industrial or industrially focused robotics, you might say. Uh, but parallel to that, I uh, 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 was sort of honored and, and put in a position where I could uh, contribute to the Creative Technology uh, Bachelor track, which was really nice. It started up here in 2008 as an as a idea, and uh, I, I was fortunate enough to, to be sort of present from the start. So really start, uh, start imagining the, the, the education, start imagining what, what creative engineers in the future might need in their skill set. Tell me a little bit of yourself. Um, I started last year as a dream teamer. Um, I'm in the Master for Interaction Technology. Uh, my background is in um, kind of a weird mixture. I did two bachelors, one in English literature and one in mechanical engineering uh, with a focus in biomechanics because uh, I really liked the medical application. Um, and I worked in some like human robotics labs and then I ended up working in haptic intelligence in Germany because uh, I never knew about haptics until I worked in biomechatronics and then I thought, oh, this is really cool. And there I was working with surgical robotics and we were trying to make it like these learning devices using sensors and actuators to help improve the learning um, capabilities of novice medical uh, professionals. Uh, so it was kind of, in a way, it could have gone as a gamification, it could have also just gone as a transparent device. Um, and now I'm working in an internship with Angelica Mater and Helen uh, Van Dace at Saxion in this uh, wearable breathing trainer. So I kind of ended up back in haptics um, because I really, I think it has a lot of fun um, capabilities and uh, potential. Um, and I like working with electronics, but also seeing the uh, social aspect of it. Is there any projects that you that you worked uh, yourself on, not just through other people? Okay, so now the the, the big project uh, on on wearables, or one of the larger projects on wearables here uh, at the university, is the project called uh, Weaving. That's a project which is uh, chaired by Angelica Mader from the HMI uh, department. And involved are also uh, Professor Jan van Erp uh, on more the haptics and interaction side. Uh, and I am involved for a part of the research at uh, the robotics group, which is more into the embedded sensing and actuation of these fabrics, which is a really, really, really interesting project, uh, especially uh, if the technology uh, that we're trying to develop will, will get there. And a lot of uh, haptic wearables rely on these uh, vibration motors, you know, the tiny motors that you know from your smartphone, 
the, the, the buzzers. And, and uh, while they're, they're nice to control and, and they're pretty versatile, still it does not, um, it is it's not, not really the thing that you would link to, for instance, social touch or, or, or the kind of human touch qualities. And the idea in this uh, weaving project is that we develop actuators that can be integrated into clothing that really have these qualities. So that, that's really an exciting project. Yeah, that does sound like a very interesting project. And what would you say is the most challenging part on working on smart textiles and projects in general? The level of integration uh, is not there yet. Of course, you can can uh, get all kinds of electronics and put your clothing, but if you have to remove it before you start washing it again, then, then it becomes just another, well, block of technology that you carry around. Uh, so, so this this high level of integration and and the the sort of really uh, seamless kind of integration into your clothing is not there yet. Well, it sounds super interesting. I'm really curious to hear like how you felt like everything went. Um, I think it went differently than I expected. I honestly thought there was going to be more to wearables already in the world than it is actually. And I feel like what Edwin mentioned more is that there's still so much potential and it's still at the starting stages of this technology. So that kind of surprised me a little bit. Which is really, really funny because it has started already from 2008, 2005 with projects that were almost, you know, promising to revolutionize our lives. And we sort of shied away from them and went back to our, I mean, the moment we got the phone, the, the smartphones, we went straight into using them and they have become an extension to ourselves, but to, you know, skin to skin contact, we don't, we don't have too much. When I think about wearable technology, it's often in the context of like some sort of sci-fi kind of like very far in the future, uh, imagination about like where we will be a hundred years from now. But wearables are actually integrated into our lives now. When you think about, for example, smartwatches or dogs that have microchips in them so that you can find them later even though that's not like consent, but wearable still. <laughs> it's really funny that you mentioned that because actually I think that Back to the Future was in... Yes. It was around uh, two years ago, 2020 or something, around that time. Yes, something like this. And I remember Edwin actually mentioned that people... Uh, we're trying to make the same boots, uh, I mean, the same sneakers and like the boards that I had uh, in the future version of the Yeah, movies. the self-lacing um, sneakers, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, there have been uh, designs uh, made like that, but it's just, it just never came to the consumers. Turns out it's really difficult to, to, to lace shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a really difficult problem. And I, I mean, we learn how to do that at, I don't know, age five. <laughs> yeah, I feel so proud of myself this morning for tying my shoes. It is a very <laughs> difficult problem. <laughs> but enough about like tying shoes. I want to get into like what was the topic that really started the whole discussion with you and Edwin and Gemma. 
Um, I think I mostly started by asking what Edwin is himself working on currently and what he has worked beforehand. Yeah, it's uh, we started with uh, his projects. Okay, let me hear it now. I want to hear it. And have you heard of any interesting projects around the world or here at the University of Twente? Um, yeah, the first encounters with wearables were uh, through an artist in residence uh, here at uh, the university, also directly linked to the design lab, uh, Kristin Neidlinger from San Francisco. She had a company called Sensory, and she started here uh, in link with the HMI group to work on her, her ideas of uh, interactive wearables. One of the first concepts that we explored were interactive inflatables or clothing that will blow up or expand, which was great fun to, to, to work. And I guess also that was the starting point for the idea of, of toolkits, of sets, of having these tinkering uh, events uh, as, as part of doing creative research. I don't know if I've heard of anything new in cutting edge necessarily, because it is such a new field. Um, But I think also what Edwin's already mentioned with some of the projects that they're working on here, um, I don't know many universities that are working on smart textiles as much as this. Plus, it also makes sense that Twente would have this being a uh, having a history with textiles. Well, the thing is, a lot of lot of the interesting examples are the ones that you find uh, at design exp uh, exhibitions, mm -hmm. perhaps at fashion fashion exhi uh, exhibitions, yeah. fashion exhibitions, mm -hmm. where you have the conceptual pieces like the these these, these crazy robotic dresses by Anouk Uh, or, or, or fantastic LED light uh, designs uh, that you usually see at, uh, at uh, the Dutch Design Week in Eindhoven, which is all really, really nice and cutting edge. But the real products that you can buy, uh, buy in the stores, they're either still the ones where you have to remove the electronics and the sort of sort of the, 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 the sensor or there are some, some nice designs or a little bit of, of embroidered uh, yeah. connectivity. It's, mm. it's all great. So there you really have a need where you have to place sensors really close to the body, uh, where they have to stay. My hands, they move around, your body is already there trashing around. So why not in a sock? So that's 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 a nice application, but still, it's it's not the 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 high tech uh, body augmentation, fantastic Marvel superhero suit style of, yeah. of of things that you might want to envision. Yeah, exactly. I think I've also in the past heard about using actuators and or even just sensors in your socks for athletes who are just trying to. Um, For rehabilitation purposes, how are they falling? Um, how that might lead to weaker ankles, for example, and predicting um, uh, injuries. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I haven't heard too much about this. But yeah, I think it's really at the cutting edge right now. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so so so, uh, so indeed, in sports science or in motion capture, movie industry, mm -hmm. of course, there is already common practice to put just a lot of sensors in in right. in, in, a, in a skin tight suit or in straps around your body, and mm -hmm. and you really use this. But I'm not sure whether there are real day-to-day -day applications where you would actually need or value that, where mm -hmm. that's an added value, rather than just carrying around the electronics that you carry around in a box anyway. Yeah, because Sensory, uh, they're a famous company for having these mm -hmm. like suits for motion capture. That I think we're also used in some movies. Uh, Accents is, uh, Accents, is, uh, Accents is yeah. indeed making them with these uh, these orange, famous orange IMUs. They, yes, they stick yes. a number of them. Then they have a very good sort of skeleton model mm -hmm. in which they, uh, for which they sort of translate these uh, these sensor information and yes use it for for movie industry 
Right. But also for sports, data science, for medical applications, if you do gait rehabilitation, right. and that's that's pretty useful information. Yeah, actually, I was uh, I knew about Xsense because of um, when I worked in uh, the Max Planck Institute in Germany in haptic intelligence. We also were using their technology for one of the PhD projects that were eventually going to be used for rehabilitation purposes, but with a Baxter robot, which is this huge one that just sits stationary but has a screen face, and trying to get people to interact with it, exercise with it, um, to I think for more improving mobility in uh, the older generation for the most part. Um, and knowing exactly what techniques to use, not that they would necessarily be using the uh, <laughs> the tight bodysuit, but yeah, for how to improve the the, the interaction with the robot. Yeah, I, I still <coughs> still really like the the concept that uh, Angelica and Geke and others uh, have been exploring also together with Helen van Rees. I believe the posture mm -hmm. posture shirt. I, I mean that that's in, in a sense a no brainer. You, you you put some sensors around your spine and, mm -hmm. and then a gentle nudge that sort of warns you like, hey, it's time, <laughs> time to sit up straight again. Right, right, like, right. Like, come on, and, and that that's for. Uh, I mean, I'm sitting here as a slouching couch potato. Exactly. So that, that's for all of us, <laughs> yeah. for all of us behind these computer screens, a really really useful thing. And I guess in in in, in that that product project realm, it completely makes sense to turn it into a wearable because right. it really needs to be close to you, close to your body. Yeah. You need to wear it like all the time, or mm -hmm. at least during daytime. It needs to be comfortable. So, so from that point of view, it, it, it completely makes sense to turn that into a wearable, and, and then a real right. wearable for day-to-day -day use. A lot, a lot of very interesting concepts explored in in, in fashion. Uh, very, very nice, nice thoughts. Very nice hypothetical designs. But the the real day-to-day -day use, the real day-to-day -day killer application, is not out there yet. Which is a good thing because it means that we can still invent it. It is one of these these topics that has been out there as a kind of kind of promising holy grail for for a long time now. Like like what it's one of these nice what ifs. What if te technology can be so close to us that it's not just a device that you carry around, but it's something that's really embedded in into the clothing that you wear, really really close to your body without thinking. It's just becoming part of yourself. This this idea where clothing can provide you with superpowers or or giving you these these magic abilities. Of course, the the the, the Iron Man suits and and the Spider Man suits are 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 well the, the the far end of the spectrum but really really make this clothing uh, uh yeah team up with you be if, if 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 it has some autonomy being uh, uh well from a robot point of view being really a cobot something that that mm -hmm. collaborates with you something that's an extension of your own self that that's that's a really nice thought and it has been out there well starting with the marvel comics already for ages uh, and still yet in 2022, we're, we're not there yet. It's still about straps that we fill on or a smartwatch with a sensor built in or perhaps a little bit of electronics built in into your shoe. But but still, it, it's not there yet. So there it still leaves a lot of room for, for development, for speculation, for invention. And that's what also really makes it exciting because you have the feeling that, that, that we're, we're almost there. It's, it's on, on the verge of a breakthrough. And and uh, that's that's a really nice nice phase I guess to be in as a designer because you can still really make a difference. Wow! So he mentioned like superpowers, getting superpowers from wearables, and for me that made me think of the blurring of the line between what is synthetic and what is biological. 
because then it's enhancing you as a person. So yeah, he talks about Iron Man and like thinking of exoskeletons and something like that. So maybe that is why there's this um, not so much development on it because that's really changing your own identity of yourself when you suddenly get this thing into your body and it's like changes what you're able to do. One uh, experiment, I guess, uh, that we have uh, willfully participated in uh, is Cyberpunk. It's a game where you get all kinds of augmentations to your body and uh, from all of the people that, you know, have been participating in that game, we all love this and we love the idea that have, I don't know, razors in my hands and guns that get out of my limbs. And uh, there are like this kind of really cool line sci-fi sort of looking mods that not only make you look like a badass, but um, make you hack things and connect to technology in a telepathic seeming way or help you program things with your brain. Um, What is... uh, is a scary sounding thing to be absolutely frank it sounds quite scary but it's also um it also feels like it's it's not that we're not willing is that we are just very we, we put that in in a in a in the side of like imagination it feels like this is something that we play yeah, with Evan did mention you know? that there have been a lot of people trying to make Iron Man costumes and Iron Man uh, suits, but I feel like that's that is still all in just as a experiment to just try fun to make. But I don't see it becoming a large thing anytime soon, actually. But who knows what the future might uh, bring? Yeah, when I think of um, wearable technologies being used in a way to enhance you as a person, my mind immediately goes to someone who maybe is like disabled or has like lost a limb or something to give them like an a bio like uh, character cyborg kind of, mm-hmm. and maybe there is this like thought in the back of people's mind that if you have like a wearable that really changes your functionality as a person then you're like improving like to a certain level of what should be normal but if that happens for a regular person to do that then maybe then they think but there's nothing wrong with how i am right now so why do i need this so there is maybe that mental gap still there and how people think about it and that has already happened because actually there are four Paralympic runners that finished mm. faster than Olympians. So people without parts of their legs, because of the kind of technology that was attached to them, could run faster than people yeah. who had the entire yeah. limb. The wearable technology is mostly also related to health industry and that all of the, the biggest changes are happening in that industry compared to other ones. And also, as Edwin mentioned, another industry that's very interesting where they do use a lot of wearable technology is the movie industry. So they use a lot of exoskeletons uh, for post... uh, How do you say it? Post... uh, Yeah, like... Post-production. Okay, yes. Yeah, (laughs) post-production. Actually, from, from this discussion, I feel like the movie industry is very, very, very interesting. 
it also a, a makes me think of a, a clothing brand that came at some point a couple of years ago and they would uh, make real life clothing by giving you a suit with QR codes on it and getting you to measure yourself using a mobile phone. So even though there were no electronics on the suit itself, it was used as a way to create an EA, a 3D model of your person in order to basically 3D scan you and make clothing that is fitted to you. Uh, which I guess it's a, diff- a different aspect. It's probably similar to the way that they use it in a, in a movie setting. Uh, they did go bust, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> They should have gone into the movie industry then. Well, um, I, I, I don't know why they went past, but uh, I think it was some sort of marketing problem. But anyway, the, the, the suit was interesting. The, the idea was interesting. I think with the movie censors, it's also this translation of a physical into a digital so you basically have to um, measure the movement of certain points so that you can then copy it for like um, special effects or animation later on. So there is this kind of trying to like transition from reality into the like digital space. So maybe that is why it's more commonly um, used in the movie industry, but not so much in real life, because there is still this separation that we have at this point between or um, digital spaces and like or physical spaces. But I do think that is becoming a bit more blurred over time, like when people are being more comfortable with being measured, maybe then it does improve the chances of wearables catching on. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I feel like uh, the topic of privacy would really come into play here because a lot of people are not comfortable being measured or being um, being uh, how do you reported. say reported on, and especially you can see it with social media already and everything else. I don't know how they would feel it when there's something on their body actually being that someone records everything you do. But actually smartwatches is is something Mm -hmm. already out there that does that. But I feel like people find clothing and something something completely else than smartwatches, which is like just an accessory. But if it was a part of a clothing or part of yourself um, I feel like that's something for a lot of people hard to mm. go- get into. With watches, you already, like the analog watches, you already expect that there's information coming out of it. Yeah. So people already have that idea that is they're comfortable with and they're used to, but with their clothing, there's not this expectation that there's information coming yeah. out of it. So I think that's why the watch transition went a little bit smoother. I think there's also a partially affordances, like... How easily are you going to change a shirt and how much are, how much usage does a modern person get out of a shirt vs out of a watch? Because you expect a watch to be a few hundred euros, an Apple watch or a smart watch or something like that, and you're going to keep it for years at a time. While a shirt, I mean, the average American buys what, 60 pieces of clothing per year? Um, it, it's horrible for the environment, but how much profit margin can you add to that in order to add electronics and make it do something cool? And we 
have the fast fashion industry that creeps making trend cycles go faster and faster so people feel like they need new clothes more mm-hmm. often so maybe that is also a barrier there so maybe not thinking about uh clothing like t-shirts or skirts or pants or whatever but maybe something like um underwear like I could imagine spending a lot of money on a really nice brazier, for example. <laughs> so that, that you could do something exists, measuring and that it way. It does exactly what you think it does. It exists and it does exactly what I'm just brainstorming here. Maybe shoes, watches. I feel like accessories have more potential for more wearables potential. than mm-hmm. actual clothing. Yeah. For everyday life. It reminds me of this necklace I've seen on uh, social media where they, some brand made a necklace for women to, if they feel not safe, that they can uh, tap on the necklace oh. and then call police or, or just an emergency line. Which is like, which is also something wearable. Yeah, that is wearable. Yeah. Or attachment. It sounds like attachments. And also, we, we shouldn't forget that wearables could be attached to our person, like to our flesh is a possibility. Well, it could be that it measures some sort of like your, your uh, heart rate and at some point tells you, hey, do you need some help? But that would be a little bit th- that would miss the mark because even if you like the guy it would still ask you hey do you need some help <laughs> I-, I think that's that's another point that our senses are not exactly great at at measuring human things they're measuring physiological stuff because and what turns out is that we are terrible at measuring pain like currently we cannot do that physiologically because it has a lot of components and a lot of components that are human perception. So like your brain play, play, plays a big role on how you, you perceive pain. So it would, it is extremely difficult to actually do that with physiological, uh, vital signs and stuff like that. So uh, it, it might be the same with wearables in general. Like, I, I think we have gotten into speculating a little bit why it hasn't touched on. And I don't think that the technology currently is that good to actually give you something valuable. Well, I wouldn't say it's the, the technology. It's also the understanding of, like, our physiology. So what are we actually measuring when we measure pain? We don't know that yet. So once we have those kind of answers maybe the wearables will follow. Yeah, exactly. But also the the watch is measuring something that is measurable. Mm. So as long as these technologies are doing something that is doable, they catch on and they get a lot of success. But I don't know, self-shoelacing shoes are going to be extremely expensive for something that they're not exactly great at, if that mm. makes sense. So a lot of these ideas don't really catch on. Or in the end, yeah. they should be illegal in a sense, because I don't, I don't know. I, I have been driving long enough and seen people on bikes long enough to not want to see them driving an Ironman suit. I don't think this is going to end up well. <laughs> well, they're also, they're also making a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of things with the sports industry, right? That was the other, the other idea. 
Yeah, it's, it's a crossroads where people really want, either where people need something that does not exist in real life, which is the movie industry. Uh, people who are very, who, who are going to go to a long, long, long way in order to get even marginally, uh, uh, like, um, improvements to their, uh, physical attributes, which is the sports industry. And then people who actually really miss something, like they, they have some sort of, um, disability or some sort of problem that needs to be fixed in some way. And then we go into the medical industry. And if it feels like these are the, the, the areas where people are more willing to experiment and to get into, uh, like, allow this kind of intrusion to self and to privacy. That, that's how I understand it. Well, maybe it's nice to hear what Edwin actually had to say about this, why he thought there was this gap with the integration. All these applications seem to be mostly in the healthcare industry and also a little bit in the movie industry. Do you think there are any other applications where the smart textiles haven't been explored in yet? Another project that I just recently encountered are smart socks. But then uh, as a measuring device uh, in, in hospitals, uh, it's mm. by an uh, Eindhoven-based company, where, uh, which was also part of, a, part of a, a recent social robotics collaboration, where we try to get as much biophysical data integrated, for instance, with the interaction that you have with other things around you, like, uh, like a social robot, and use this in this specific case for uh, measuring and mitigation of pain in hospitalized children. Also, another major, major point is, is health and safety, and then especially safety in, in, in hazardous environments. So where you already have uh, have uh, motor motor jackets with sort of uh, built-in air cushions and those those kind of thing things or built-in airbags. Uh, mm. Then I guess uh, for for real safety ja uh, jackets to be used on oil rigs, oil platforms, those kind of environments, that there's really a lot of lot of technology that you can integrate in, in clothing. But then the the whole wearability might not be the main issue. It's it's like you're wearing this big bulky jacket so you can stuff it with whatever bits of, of smart tech that you need. And and that's that's I guess still the, the challenging bit where you really make it a nice and unobtrusive and and like background technology enough that it's it's there for you for everyday use. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you don't want to think when you put your clothing into the washing machine or you don't want to think about the battery life. Oh, darn it, I have to have to charge my jacket again. I yeah, mean, the yeah. fire hazard or something kind of yeah. pops into mind with these like lithium batteries exploding on planes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Edwin, since the start of your career, how have the smart textiles developed and where do you see them going into the future? I, I would like to see say that that man, we've seen a gigantic leap and, and from, from this small starting point, it has grown tremendously. Um, uh, and, and I guess the, the cynical thing is, uh, when we started with creative technology, uh, we were, so of course, we had to, to sort of um, uh, advertise the, the idea or at least get across the, the image, uh, the vision that we had for, for, for creative technology. So we used some examples from, uh, uh, from other companies that were uh, uh, to us cutting edge, uh, like this is the direction we want to venture into. You had the Sixth Sense project by MIT, which was about a kind of, kind of 
of, you might say, early version of the Google Glass that provided you with extra information and did, did the gesture recognition and those kind of things. And also one thing was this, this Nike sports shoes that was actually linked to your app and then could provide you with your background track music in sync with your walking rhythm oh. and those kind of things. And we're talking 2008 now. <laughs> uh, so, so, so those amazing things are probably still out there somewhere. But then I, I might have been been sort of locked up in in, in a room for too long. Uh, so so it might might be that my vision is a little bit little bit tunneled. Uh, but on the other hand, I have not seen that much uh, like like radically new game changing uh, developments out there. So I think that like like with many other technologies, uh, perhaps the whole consumer market and the whole consumer idea of, well, this is something that I really need if in my day-to-day -day life might not be the, 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 the best direction. I think uh, you find real needs uh, also close at hand uh, in, in, in sports or for instance, in, in medical, uh, uh, medical examples, like the project you're working on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, perhaps you see uh, there's a sort of different direction that we do not start out with consumer market projects which end up somewhere else, but uh, the other way around and find find it in other niches, mm. like similar to the, the to the Google Glass or these kind of kind of camera systems. There are out out there, but they're really used in industry where it's really critical to have kind of information on site. So there's a lot of work on on uh, engineers and field engineers that are being equipped with. Uh, a HoloLens or other other uh, smart glasses that are really the thing. However, we as society don't want to be put on camera by everybody that's 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 sitting across uh, our table in the restaurant. Yeah. So so there there's that thing. So perhaps uh, we will see things for medical use, like uh, or for training children with uh, with breathing disabilities or posture shirts and those kind of kind of slightly sort of medical flavored uh, flavored things first and then it might also appeal to to larger audiences but i don't think there is the the key application yet that that will hit the mass market and then or the mass consumer market and then then sort of gets away from there right Edwin, today you mentioned that you're going into the wearables in one of your classes. Is that something that you will focus on more in the future or not? I, I think the, the notion of having technology close to you, so, so make it wearable, carryable, uh, portable, also really, really part of you, I, I think that's a very important thing. So that's going to be part of the design space for, for a long time. I'm not sure with, with this amount of technology that we have around us, it's bound to also get close to us. And from the time that we started wearing wearing wristwatches, I mean, that, that's, that was the point of no return. So apparently we want some technology uh, close to us and close to our body. So that, that <coughs> makes, makes a really interesting, interesting realm for you as a designer to design things uh, like with connectivity or connectivity in, in, in through, through digital communication channels that can get closer and then you put it in jewelry or in really highly personalized devices. It's, it's still a very nice, nice thought and it's very helpful for you as a designer also to radically step away from. I mean, I don't want this bit of technology here on my body. I simply want it somewhere at a distance so I can choose. That's also a very valid thought. So, so from that perspective, it is really a topic that's out there and is really relevant. 
Uh, and I still would like uh, the students to explore or better, I want students to be able to set a space or set the environment or find the ingredients so they can explore this realm. And that's what the course that I'm currently teaching on Mastering Tinkering is about. It's uh, on, on finding the right ingredients and setting the space and uh, yeah, setting up the right tools to be able to explore design space. So one of the one of the topics that we're going to address uh, uh, today is indeed a a kind of toolkit to develop wearables. So how to play around with wearables, or can you come up with new concepts that are nice or interesting or might work as a product? Mm -hmm. And do you see many of your students being interested in uh, this technology? Um, in this course, I'm, I'm not sure, but that's something that we're going to find out uh, find out uh, this afternoon. And as I said, it's not a course specifically on, on wearables. Um, also, with this weaving project, we're sort of moving away from strictly wearables uh, only also to include the topic of haptics, which is even, even, you might say, more intimate or even by necessity close to your, to your body. So uh, in, the, in the work by Angelica and also her uh, PhD student Judith Veda, we're also exploring how to, how to build haptic wearables. And that's also part of, uh, of courses in iTech right now. So building stuff for, for haptics. So building technology that, well, you can touch or you can use for mediated touch or gives you different kind of signifiers on a different kind of tactile quality. So other than, uh, other than a smartphone that goes bleep at you or a smartphone that goes buzzed at you, it might be, might be interesting to have the tech uh, that, that can give you a, a pat on the shoulder or a stroke on your arm or something like that. Okay, and over here, just breaking the flow, shameless plug about um, the light bulb chats. Ah, uh, yes, the light bulb chats. Those are pretty fun. It's like once every month or two months. Around that time, yeah. Yeah. And they have some really cool speakers. It's... it's uh, and it, I, I didn't want to toot our own horn too much, but it has happened to me a lot of times in Design Lab that I hear what people are doing in or out of the space. And these kind of super cool things pop up. So I'm just, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm proud by proxy. So all the plugs aside, we talked about academia, we talked to Edwin and university and companies, but how do ordinary students like us actually end up in wearables and how can they start? Gemma, can you tell me more about your project and your internship? Sure. Yeah, uh, so with uh, this internship, I'm working as the like engineer, the haptics uh, person, where I'm working with the vibration motors. And just for the scope of this project, I'm looking at where can I place the motors um, in different locations and also different frequencies and what is the best way uh, to teach the um, children who will be wearing it how to breathe better. Uh, so the idea is that uh, physiotherapists give you exercises and then you have to do them at home on your own. But for children, it's really difficult to understand why they need to do it and they lose motivation, focus, typical things uh, because they're just thinking about everything else. Uh, so the idea is what is the best combination of these um, different variables and based on the physio's feedback, what would keep the kid entertained the most? For the so how are you experiencing the project so far? 
Uh, so far, it's pretty, it's nice. I'm doing a lot of background research right now, uh, so I just started. Uh, but I really like the uh, potential, and I'm really excited. This week, I have, um, we're going to talk with another company nearby called Elatac, and they have a really nice, um, already professional vest that they use, and with some really nice sensors and actuators. So I'm curious to see what the cutting edge is on that side. And um, we'll probably only use our more simple vibration motors because they're easier to program with Arduino. And um, yeah, just learning from what do, uh, what do they do in industry and then how can we use that for research. And uh, what would you say inspired you to do this uh, internship? And why is it specifically in wearables? Ah, okay. Um, uh, wearables actually never really crossed my mind, uh, so that was something where I was curious about it um, because I'd usually worked on more of these bulky robotic devices, like these giant robot arms and stuff. You just put a sensor on it and then it does things. Um, but I guess uh, I liked that it becomes yeah part of your your body, as Edwin was saying, and also um, it inf it becomes part of your life, but it's also transparent, so you don't really pay attention to it. And I think that's kind of this cool invisible cloak that you're always wearing that's also influencing you in some way. Um, and in this project, we're actually looking at that, like how much of an influence we want this device to have. Um, so I liked, and then also I like haptics because I like playing with different modalities. So we're always looking at visual stuff. Um, everyone wants to use VR. Um, and screens and smartwatches, and I think it's nice to try what other modalities can we use, sounds, uh, vibrations, uh, how can those influence you in your regular environment. So has this project changed the way you're looking at smart textiles or wearables? Totally. Yeah, I mean, when I first heard about the wearable breathing trainer, of course, I thought about, like, the, the fire hazard, as I mentioned before. <laughs> Just, um, But it's really, really cool to see, like, the intricacies of using these conductive threads and materials. And I never really knew about uh, textiles, and Saxon has a huge textile lab. Um, and Helen was showing me around, and... Um, just how much more technology there is in this field and this like kind of yeah it's like an invisible you never really think about it um you just see sensors as something that's in front of you or actuators um and so i, I think that it could be really interesting and i think there are a lot of uh, capabilities within this and i really like the healthcare aspect um of course and since you're only at the start of the project what would you say be the most challenging part for you in this uh, internship slash project? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, if I foresee in the future in my crystal ball, I do see there being difficulties in, um, well, first of all, testing it because working with children is not um, super easy. Um, but I, I think that that and also finding the right uh, combination of of the vibrations, locations, uh, because the sensors that we're using are not uh, very robust. So what exactly can we use that will translate what a therapist can give a, a child to what does the device give the child? And um, also, I think it'd be interesting to see how long can it last? How long can it keep up um, their attention? And also, how effective is it? Um, because, yeah, I don't know if there's, we haven't gotten that far yet. And then We'll probably not do clinical trials in my internship, but in the future, I see that as being the next step. And since you're a Dream Team member, do you think Design Lab has changed the way you approach a project? 
Totally. I, I love the, uh, the design lab and the dream team uh, because I think that just always having this collaborative space with people with different backgrounds, different skill sets is always beneficial because you always learn new skills. You always get to experience new things you never do before. I never thought I'd do a podcast or be in a podcast, <laughs> um, but I always thought it was really cool. And so just you have a lot at your disposal. And um, I think if students can make use of that um, and if we can help them, because I, I love uh, outreaching and teaching students and sharing with other people. Um, I think that the design lab has really helped me to expand that and yeah, meet so many interesting interesting people. And I really like the people surrounding these projects. So I would definitely want to keep up with uh, wearables in the future because um, I want to see where it goes. amazing you know someone you work with them intimately but then the moment that you actually sit down and have an interview with them you get to know them you can't say that you know them before you have the interview with them <laughs> and with Gemma that's really clear because I didn't understand really how involved she had been in all these different fields and all the experiences she had so far I agree I had the same reaction when I was asking her the questions, and I was definitely in awe while I was listening to her. I think what is really also interesting to me is that her journey is not exactly linear. She didn't go engineering and then into, uh, I don't know, uh, wearables through a sort of linear academic way. She She has partially a degree in literature, and it's it's the kind of um transition that's not easy that transition is not easy it's it makes me think of using two different sides of your brain yeah. <laughs> completely and then she just has both of them working in harmony i don't understand that i'm just always fascinated by people who have both something of engineering background and also more of a social science background i feel like mm-hmm. these are just two worlds that are Always a bit difficult to combine, I would say. Which is also the kind of background that we see in Edwin a little bit, starting from engineering and getting into creative technology. And it it's also seems to be the sweet spot that somebody would need to have in order to get to a technology that is not only robust and does not blow up yeah. on airplanes <laughs> and, uh, and is also very intimate, very close to somebody's body without being intrusive, you know, to understand this kind of necessity to be um, mm-hmm. subtle and to be humane and to be really close to people. Um yeah, it is truly the socio-technical. Yeah, it, it feels like a field that is primed for this kind of people, the people that get get both both aspects of it. So then we can talk about the smart textiles now? Oh, yes. Yeah, so recently there's been a new addition to our e-workshop. Woo! Yay! <laughs> Me and some Dream Teamers worked on a new edition called the Tea Workshop, where we offer all kinds of textile uh, tools for developing uh, prototypes. Yeah, for kind of playing with textiles using sewing machines. There's also yeah. uh, fabric paints I saw and yeah. like different like techniques for applique. 
But then with it being so close to the electronic workshop, it immediately makes your mind go to wearables because from sewing something on the sewing machine to putting the electronics, it's in the same room. Yes. So one of the ideas was that, that a lot of people would like to work on, because we didn't want it to make it just a, you know, fashion corner, as some uh, tech teamers would like to call it. So we wanted to make sure that it's also, um, place for prototyping more than just uh, clothes, you know? So maybe putting together clothes together with uh, electronics or I don't know what crazy ideas some might have. I, if I think about something that's really involved with textiles is the example of the smart shelter... No, sorry, not smart. The shelter suit. Yeah. Because that was... a something that you wore on you that was literally a tent that you could build up and it could provide you like a safe space. So when we look at textiles, we immediately think of fashion and like things that are very um, colorful and like expressive, but it's also the basis of just having something flexible in your life, in your products. So it's we should get away from really putting this kind of like um frivolous connotation to textiles because it's really in all aspects of mm. our life. I mean, as the interviewees mentioned, uh, fashion is actually one of the front runners of wearable technology. They make the most cookie interesting things because they can use the spectacle of it. I'm guessing that's my own guess, but it's not it's it's not frivolous. To even to just make clothing with extensions, with moving parts, with, I don't know, 3D printed materials. Uh, that was uh, a person that came um, uh, in the open days in design and was like, oh, so we can 3D print fabrics. And that's, that's also another interesting um, application. So I, I really, I really think that the, um, the textile lab situated where it is, surrounded by the laser cutter, the 3D printers, the electronics lab, but also the machines that are next in the M workshop. They really work very well to make, for example, designs that could be uh, interior designs or space designs, but at the same time to make wearables and clothing and to even create new materials or to make prototypes of new kinds of materials, new kinds of textiles. I do think that our workshop is perfect for, it has a perfect setting for that, uh, for making of the, that killer application, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's everything in there. I'm really interested and excited to see what comes out of it once people get like into using the sewing machines yes. and the technology there. Mm. Yeah, and the kind of, I don't know. Um, heard that somebody wanted to bring in Kevlar and I'm like, oh, please do. <laughs> Thank you again to Edwin Dertin and Gemma Cebatoni for participating in our podcast. And if you would like to work in a textile workshop, you're welcome to come by every weekday from 9 to 5. But of course, don't forget your safety badge. To use specific sewing machines, you will need to take a quick course first, but you can find more information on our website.